0: On the Pilot TV Podcast this week, we're behind bars with Stephen Graham and Sean Bean in Jimmy McGovern's Time on BBC One, watching Jodie Turner-Smith do her best to put off being decapitated as Channel 5's Anne Boleyn, trying to work out what the hell is going on in Apple's adaptation of Stephen King novel Lisey's story, and finally getting to feel good in season two of that show on Netflix, which also gave Mae Martin and Charlotte Ritchie an excuse to drop by the pod for a nice little chat with Terry. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that I like to think will get its own televised reunion special in 17 years where Boyd, Terry and myself will be paid an exorbitant amount of money to walk onto a painstakingly accurate recreation of the Pilot TV pod studio and reminisce about the time I made Terry listen to a 20 minute monologue about Game of Thrones. But before we all get into what we thought of the Friends reunion special, I should introduce my two co-hosts. First up, the Chanand Lebong of this particular group, not so much because he's the funny one, but because he almost suddenly went to school with Julia Roberts. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Hello.
0: And also joining us is Pilot TV's very own Phoebe Buffet because if the three of us were in prison, Boyd and I would absolutely be her bitches. It's Terry White.
2: You are my bitches already. I know this isn't I mean, quite prison, although the I mean, similarities. Yeah. Um, and what friends character? Do you know, I mean, this is obvious, right? Who James is? Come, on. Marcel. <laughs> you are you are Ross. Oh my god. Am I? Yeah, just,
0: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, just yeah, geeky
2: stuff. Just Game of Thrones and fucking video yeah. games where we've yeah. got dinosaur
0: bones. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Massive. Nerd I
0: would I nerd see I always thought that Chandler's dysfunctional love life would probably have made me
1: a, a sort of a shoe-in for that. You wish. Really?
2: Oh you wish. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah, and also, wish. You yeah, Chandler
1: like bonds with Joey by sitting on their big chairs and sitting back and cracking open some beers. That's not you. No,
0: you're it? right. I'm, I'm at home Jesus with my dinosaur Christ. bones and my monkey that's absolutely right yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you do have a bit of Chandler's oversensitivity okay there you go so you know the whole thing when he book when he was in love with Kath, Kathy the,
0: oh, the oh yes the Valentine Rabbit
2: the first edition of Valentine Rabbit that was a very James I I
0: thought <laughs> yeah okay fine good well um we are all here together i will say now terry is in a communal working space so if a bunch of randos suddenly start having large conversations and you hear them off mic that will be the reason why it is not terry's fault it is the fault of greater manchester (laughs) let's move on to what we've been watching which of course has been the friends reunion this week uh I want to hear what you all thought about this, but I'm just going to say, could this be any more overproduced?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I'm going to just jump in because I watched this last night. Um, I actually didn't watch one of the shows we're reviewing today because I was too busy watching the hour and 40 minute Friends for you. (laughs) So... Obviously the intention uh, was to make it kind of part variety show, part chat show um, uh, part archival. and I thought some of it really worked and some of it, didn't and i have to say i don't fucking care like the it is imperfect there were bits that didn't really work so the fashion show apart from when joey came out wearing all the clothes (laughs) there was um i didn't think that worked that was just my toes actually curled up inside my own body at that point the talking heads don't give a fuck what david beckham thinks the
0: choices of people
2: well yeah because reese with a screen i get because she was in it completely yes right so but i i was like david beckham
0: and Kit like Harrington, her. just it's so random.
2: Yeah, and so I didn't think that worked. And and um, the, the Gaga and Phoebe thing, I know mm. a lot of people like that, but it, mm. but uh, when it comes to what did work, I thought the interviews with the creators and writers, I found that really interesting. People said they didn't learn anything new from that, but I really liked that. The BTS footage from the time and the pictures from the time that shows the true emotion and friendship mm. and intimacy. And I'll tell you what, I mean, the, the table reads, right? Oh. So the table reads, the Ross and Rachel table read, and I'm just going to jump to that because they clearly agreed there was going to be, they needed to give one big reveal, right? One big kind of gift to the fans to get people to really love this and invest in it. And clearly they'd agreed beforehand that they were going to reveal that, you know, Ross, Ross and Rachel... David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston had feelings for each other in real life. They said they were like ships in the night because they were both dating other people um, when one person was single, the other one wasn't. And that they put all of that, I think Jennifer Aniston called it love and adoration for each other into their characters. And it was kind of at the peak of their relationship. So she said, oh, I always didn't want our first kiss to be on screen, but it was. And that they never gave into their feelings um, in real life. That was, I mean, honestly, I burst into floods of tears at that point and that made that table read of them and I thought it was really smart Mm -hmm. how they intercut that between the original scenes and them reading it now. I, honestly, the emotion of it, I was so surprised, I think I said this last week, that I was kind of feeling quite emotional and I was quite surprised I was feeling quite emotional. I thought when it hit the note emotionally, it was fucking incredible. I was like overwhelmed with how emotional I felt about Mm -hmm. it, like happy and sad. And it makes you think about, you know, the passage of time in your own life. Um, And you know what? People were making jibes about what they look like and all that. I don't give a fuck. I do not give a fuck. And as I've always said on this show, they are beamed into our homes every single day at their peak, smooth, perky... 27 year old best, like if I was peeked into, I, I wasn't really that good at 27, but <laughs> if there was a kind of perfect, smooth, wrinkle-free, youthful time in my life and I had to have that beamed into my own face every day, it would probably slightly distort my view of um, and myself, but I hate how people are focused on that because honestly, that chemistry they still have, the love they had and still have in most cases, I think, for each other I just bought all of it. I honestly, I just thought it was tonally and everything. I thought they got it absolutely bang on. And was every bit brilliant? No. Did I need all the variety stuff? No. To your point, James, was it overproduced? Maybe. (laughs) I I, I don't care. I don't care. I felt so satisfied at the end of it. I honestly, honestly did. Overwhelmingly satisfied. And that was it. And I didn't need any more. I didn't, I don't need a new episode, I don't need to see them do it again. I thought it was a complete experience that as a mega fan who still watches it every single day... I felt completely like I'd got an amazing thing from them. I really
0: did. The emotional aspect of it, you're absolutely right. Like I found it really affecting just when they walk onto the set and they're seeing each other. And Also, there's a title card at the beginning that says they've only been in the same room together all together once in 17 years. And that blew my mind because they seem so close and they say that they keep in touch, but they clearly don't all get together as a group, which is... And,
2: well, they never have. And, they, and I think, you know, so David Schwimmer and Lisa Kudrow posted a picture and watched the reunion together. Um, Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox are very close friends. I think Jennifer Aniston's godmother to to her daughter, maybe. And But, you know, there's the bit where Matthew Perry said, nobody's staying in touch with me, and you kind of hmm. felt that there might be a grain of truth in that. I mean, also, Matthew Perry's, that when he talked about the pressure of needing that mm. laugh every week, yeah. And what that does to you, and how he would like convulse and be in bits if he didn't get a laugh, and how he how that crippled him. I thought that was
1: well, and and Lisa Kudrow saying, "I oh, didn't, I didn't know that." Mm. That was a really that that moment was incredible mm. because she, I've used the word incredible already, but um, for him to say that was, I think, a really big. Moment of re- revelation of what it was like for him, how anxious he was, and then for her to say, "Oh my God, I just didn't know that you were thinking that at the time" was really interesting. And I've read reviews; I've read people saying, "You know, oh, they should have picked up on that and made more of it." I'm like, "You absolute morons! That is all you yeah, need to know. That was yeah. there. That you know that that was a fantastic moment." And I think with this overproducing thing, I mean, I, I know the producer and the director, so, you know, but you're not going to get that what you're talking about yeah the, the 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 atmosphere and the mood to make sure they felt comfortable enough to reveal those things like as you say the incredible david schwimmer jennifer aniston crushing on each other revelation like that has to be you know that i'm sure it has to be eked yeah. out and you know that and the whole way it was put together actually i think i mean there were i agree you know the fashion show was weird i mean of course but it was the mix of all these different elements that i think made it what it was and, and just getting it tonally right to make them absolutely comfortable and as you say that opening you know was incredibly real and emotional you know and matthew perry crying towards the end was mm. cre- i think all the all the steps actually all the different individual elements of it that felt a bit much actually all came together to make it what it was yeah um, i agree and i
0: and I I, th- I I i totally see what you mean and i understand why it was you know certainly sent overproduced because you know they've got like two million dollars each for doing this they've spent a lot of money just on the whole production of it and they wanted to make it a television event which it a hundred percent is it was almost an unmissable television event like it was fantastic and it did everything you wanted it to do it rekindled all of your love for the show it made you fascinated to see what these people are like now and how they interact with each other now and to watch them go onto that set and just reminisce oh this beam didn't used to be here and oh we did this oh do you remember that time we did that and oh when courtney wrote her lines on here and then i it erased it all you know, why would you do that you know it was just beautiful I even liked the quiz they did I thought that you know that the, yeah. I think that worked pretty and that could have been a horrific cringe moment but it came yeah. off without a hitch that was brilliant it's
1: interesting the extent to which Schwimmer is in charge of those moments yeah. I think he's such the key yes and he is because he's the absolute kind of um he's so smart and I think he's so kind of unpretentious mm-hmm. and honest and all of that and I think he was a key person to, that they lent on to kind of be in kind of in charge he arrives first he organised the he, he salary negotiations, he didn't he? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, he, he, hes the he, reason he they've got so much man. money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. Um,
0: yeah, because yeah. then they—he got them to negotiate almost like a little union mm. when they did their yeah, yeah, their reviews yeah. when of they course. were getting a million dollars an episode. Um, but yeah, he was fantastic. I thought they were all really good, and it was just yeah. you know just little things like the bug in and Lisa Kudrow's hair at oh, one yeah. point. Keeping that yeah, in it's just Yeah, which is yeah. genius. You yeah. can't make that stuff up. When she went full mm. Phoebe, and it was just beautiful. The table yeah. reads, that revelation, the Ross and Rachel revelation, is seismic, you know, in so many ways, yeah. because that's one of the great TV will-they-won't-they's. And that first kiss was such a big deal for Friends. And to know that that was, like, the culmination of all this real sexual tension gives it so much more potency. I Makes mean, you want to go straight back and rewatch it, which, of course, I have started doing.
2: Well, I also have a question, because actually, um the kiss in the um uh, Central Park doorway isn't the first kiss because if you remember when Rachel is trying to work out if she's got feelings for Ross while he's in China and she obviously found out from Chandler after he gave her the gift of the amazing vintage brooch um she, she was on a date with that awful guy and she her mind drifts off and she's talking to Ross in a fantasy sequence if you remember and she says, "Oh, I've just never looked at you lot that way." And he says, "Well, start looking." And grabs her and kisses her. So it, it, that was a fantasy sequence. I'd but forgotten York, that. that. That makes that their actual first kiss, not the one in the cafe.
0: Well, you've just ruined it, Terry.
2: No, because it's. But I, that adds a new layer to me. And then I was thinking, oh, maybe they shot. Maybe they didn't shoot it in sequence because I still like to think that the one in Central Park is the first kiss time they kiss as people because the te- sexual tension. Yeah. And the chemistry, the look, when she's trying to unlock yeah. the door...
0: <laughs> and he mad and he goes, explains it bottom, to
2: her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one at the bottom. And that, that moment when they look at each other... That chemistry is for real.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> it real! was great. I mean, did we need to see Malala telling us about her favorite episodes? Arguably not. Um and and certainly the celebrities they got given that they could clearly get a lot some of the things just jarred with me. It's like they get, like Mindy Kaling made absolute sense. Reese Witherspoon made absolute sense. Kit Harington just seemed very random.
1: he just felt very random. It's but then like, David Beckham was monstrously random. James, this is how it works. They have friends, like you know, Dave, they have friends of David Beckham. Is friends with the people who make it, and yeah. they knew he was a friend. So they asked him, and he's a global superstar. But it is, and ret- it ret- is ret- ret- random. It is fucking random. I'm not saying it's not random, <laughs> but I'm saying that's how these things work. They don't yeah. go. They they literally go. Oh, I, I, you know, we happen to know David Beckham, and he's like friends. Yeah, and that's
2: the thing is, but 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 just to say, I think that is tricky because we know it, right? It's like we make things, we make magazines yeah. and yeah. podcasts, and sometimes we use people we know and friendships influencing. But obviously. To your average viewer, they have no idea that David Beckham is mates sure. with yeah. the producer, yeah. and that yeah. may be why they asked him. And I take your point that he is a globally recognised name. I think those talking head points, it would have almost been better if they were just people who had a link to the show mm. and either a guest starred on yeah. it or do you know what I mean? Like, where was Paul Rudd? is my question yeah yeah like yeah.
0: Gunter and Janice I didn't need to see Mr Heckles felt quite random I was very pleased to see Tom Selleck but but just going back to the talking heads thing. the other thing that struck me is just a little odd is when they did the fashion show they did Cara Delevingne they did Justin Bieber and then and I, I can't remember what it but then Cara Delevingne came back out so she's the only one who did too and it's like you couldn't have got yeah. another person like that felt really weirdly structured
2: well also just like Joey came out in all the clothes I saw a picture of Monica with the turkey on her head, which I presume was Courtney Cox redoing that bit. But obviously, that scene never ended up in it. So, where what happens? Maybe a can
0: There's a lot of stuff. I'm there. sure there was. Yeah. I'm sure, but I think also so all of that other stuff. There's a
2: trifle bit. Sorry, there was a trifle bit as well with Rachel. So there was a, a picture ended up. With, obviously, mm. we all know she made the trifle with beef. Um, yeah. uh, and Joey eats it. <laughs> yeah. Good, jam good, he good, he good because <laughs> they're good. Um, yeah, so I think that it brings weird that they were things that had somehow that were put out and then obviously, obviously, cut, which I yeah. presume means they were editing it kind of
0: yeah it's the only thing that I ever felt during those segments is anytime anyone else was on screen doing a talking head or doing a fat show all it thought is I thought you are burning runtime when I could be spending more time with these people and I kind of and I them sitting with James Corden I thought was fine I enjoyed that but the moments of them on the sofa on the set just talking among each other that was I thought that was the gold of this could yeah. have had I could have had hours and hours of that I really could yeah, yeah. but a triumph I'm saying it was a triumph I thought it was very yeah. very good uh, if you have not seen it, it is available to be watched now. It was on Sky One. It is available. I'm never going to call Now TV now. It's just never going to happen. So they just need to come to terms with that. It's just, it's just not going to happen because I can't say it's on now because, of course, it's not on now, although it is technically is on now. But you you see what I'm saying. So anyway, it's on the, the artist formerly known as Now TV James and Sky.
1: standing up against, <laughs> I am. The, against the, uh, the... The nomenclature the- of their streaming service. Yeah. I'm not having any of it. Yeah. <laughs> against the capitalist society that's rebranded Now that's TV right. as Make Now. That's right. Make it stop.
2: Um... But, James, what else have you been watching this week? She asks, like, she doesn't Yeah,
0: know. so I finally watched Innocent, which uh, which you guys talked about last week. But I burned through it last night, and I watched the final episode this morning. And, oh, my God! <laughs> 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 like, that, the twists and the turns and the things and the stuff and the ends and the, oh, my God. And, oh, my God, Karen is the worst.
2: Karen is the worst. Um, you did not like... Oh, she
0: was don't. just... I, I, well, I won't repeat verbatim the text that I sent you describing what I thought of Karen, but, uh, yeah, she was an absolute C unit, and I just couldn't... I just didn't understand what... C? Oh, my God. Did you just
2: say C unit? <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. my God. you
0: were yeah. such a gig. Yeah That's brilliant. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm trying to save myself some will-I-won't-they-sort-of-beep-it-out type time. But uh, yeah, so she was dreadful. I must admit, I did kind of see the ending coming, believe it or not. You I did. did, I did actually see How the ending early? coming. How um, early? I would say in episode three. Ten minutes before no, I had- episode three, I saw it coming in really? episode three. God, that's clever. No, it was just more to do with the fact in my head. I was just thinking, like, if I were writing the show, where would I go with it, and it would be this. But did um, you mean?
1: Do you, did you did you guess the the, the who done it or the actual reason and and the specific? Uh. Did you get? You guess all of that? Uh, no, I
0: didn't know the the ah, specifics okay. of it. I didn't get. It was right, more right, the who done it okay. of it. I had. I had right. guessed because
1: the, the specifics were more surprising than the.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so that was my experience with Innocent. What? What? What else have we been watching have, or have we have
1: covered you, it? Have you seen? We should say. Or I'm saying yeah. that we we were sent the last episode of Mirror We were. just this and I know, watched so it. As this goes out, I have, have watched it. it. I haven't. Yeah. Don't say anything. <laughs> won't
2: say anything. I'm saving yeah. it for my actual moment. I
1: enjoyed yeah, it.
0: Let's just say okay. that
1: yeah i enjoyed it. i thought it was i must great. admit
0: no, I mayor really of easttown really has great. been one of those lovely surprises for me this year i mean it's a, a high budget show with kate winslet in it, so it wasn't like it was going under the radar but i had not planned as i said before to watch all of this because i thought it was quite dour but i'm so glad i stuck with it and i've i've really enjoyed the sort of monday nightness of it all the kind of mayor memes going around on twitter and everyone kind of watching it together so yeah it's been a lot of fun i've uh i've, I've had a giggle with this yeah all right. Well, we won't uh, we won't delve too far then into Mayor of Easttown since Terry hasn't seen it yet, and let's be honest, mm. most of the people listening to this won't have either.
1: The only other thing I wanted to mention, that I've been watching, um, is Master of None season mm. three. And um, it's a real shame we didn't have time to cover it. I think it had, we, I wasn't alerted. I wasn't sent the screens. I'm blame. I'm going to blame Netflix for it. But basically, and it also arrived on a Sunday randomly. Nothing good on Netflix arrives on a Sunday. But um, this is it's it's um, Lena Waithe, um and it, she co-wrote it with Aziz Ansari. It's totally about her relationship with her wife played by naomi aki it's like a kind it's like a scenes from a marriage thing it's quite slow quite deliberately paced kind of j- hardcore no holds barred look at a relationship and the issues within it and the and, and, and the frustrations and and it's and it's actually really really well done um i think it's really good i bet we might even have to it might be so good or so just interesting to talk about it. we might have to officially look, look at it together as a, as a group at some point when we have time <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> we'll add it to the list it's really interesting Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we are going to skip the listener question this week for the sake of expedience, otherwise this podcast will never end. And we were going to go straight now into... This week's guest, or guests, I should say, uh, as we're joined on the show this week by Feel Good stars May Martin and Charlotte Ritchie, uh, who play May and George on the show, uh, which May co-wrote and whose character is kind of based on herself. We loved season one of this. Uh, Terry was, of course, delighted to talk to both Charlotte and May the other week over what can only be described as some kind of medieval video conferencing system, which I can only assume most of the working parts were made of wood. Um... As a result, the audio of this is a little bit janky at times, so do bear with us. Uh, but here is Terry talking to May Martin and Charlotte Ritchie.
2: May Martin and Charlotte Ritchie, welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. We are here to talk about the second season of Feel Good. Um, what would you say, and obviously no spoilers, but what would you say? Is the biggest shift or new ground in season two? I think it's fair to say that there are new challenges for both May and George.
3: Yes, new challenges. Um, well, a, a lot more, a lot more laughs, a lot more tears, the yeah. usual. But I think they're they're trying to figure out if they can transform that relationship that was so tumultuous and quite adolescent in a way mm-hmm. and sees, uh, into a kind of more mature, long term, healthy dynamics so they're both having to grapple with stuff individually that they're bringing to the relationship that's what I was going to say
4: was it yeah. <laughs> just that they, yeah they're working out how to be individuals within once things have um moved on between the two of them um it's what what is like what else is in their lives that affects mm-hmm. that how does how does their relationship on or off work with the kind of challenges that they face as individuals because mm-hmm. once they're out of The cocoon or or they've resolved certain things in the last series you need to know then who they are away from each other
3: well yeah I think in in a way that that surface conflict for them in in season one of George's kind of repression when it came to her sexuality and, and May's drug issues I think that that was all sort of convenient distraction for some deeper stuff that was going on so I think they're they're getting deeper into it.
2: Mm. And you you made it in lockdown, right? Um, like, a, like a lot of TV shows over the last year. What were the particular challenges for you guys?
3: I was really nervous about it and that there wouldn't be that kind of camaraderie on set because everyone would be distant. But actually, uh, we adjusted to it pretty fast yeah. and um, it was an amazing crew. And Luke, the director, was just made such a good atmosphere and Charlotte and I were
4: quarantining together so we lived together for Mm. three months or something in these flats in a bubble that was probably the most unusual and kind of um on on paper kind of challenging thing was not having it's very rare I think to not get a break from a work thing to go elsewhere but luckily we get on really well and kind of we managed to find really fun things to do and watch like lots of tv and play lots of music and things like that which was such a relief actually in the end doing that kind of stuff yeah especially what I think
3: when you're working really hard and really tired it's kind of nice to have very few options of who you can hang out with and what you can do so it was really like are we going to watch a film or yeah.
4: play it music? definitely streamlined life <laughs> yeah. in a big way like the biggest event that we had one weekend was um that we did a whiskey tasting that was like the big event.
3: Yeah, we ordered about 15 different whiskeys and then it was our favorite, but it, yeah. we
4: managed to stretch it out for a good number of hours. Yeah, very <laughs> Anyway, as in like not, we weren't sober, but it was like a very sort of serious conversation with a lot of like, kind of tasting yeah. yeah yeah it was it was it was professional tasting which was i nice. imagine yeah.
2: did the notes become a little bit less legible as as time went on yes exactly. yeah there was a blending it was like
3: <laughs> by the end of the by the 14th whiskey we were liking them all a lot more yeah I like, no, this one's really good <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah.
2: mm. Did living together almost help with the intensity you were trying to capture? Because one thing that struck me about season one was the intensity of your relationship and that romance is so believable and so beautiful, actually. Was being together all the time, did that help in any way capturing that on screen?
4: I think it did, yeah, definitely. I mean, it meant that it was kind of, there was a sort of shorthand for everything. Um, I mean, already having done a series one and already having known each other really well, that's kind of there and there's I think a real level of comfort um between us that allows for that intimacy which is like really important because I don't think you can be feeling discomfort and and playing these parts but I think it yeah I think it definitely would have helped yeah
3: yeah I think I was I was just saying that I think in uh uh, yeah yeah Yeah, I think I I I hope that it does come I definitely felt like uh I'd got over a lot of the nerves of season Mm -hmm. one and yeah you know uh so by season two, that I think we were able to push each other further and, mm-hmm. and had more trust and
4: yeah, and more trust in our friendship, yeah. and that allowed for a kind of yeah, there was a lot less like takes that were ruined by like giggling, yeah. by, at least from me giggling. From me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like yeah, I just think that that was got. I think that's also reflected in the fact that like the script is a little bit more, the characters have moved on and are more kind of mature. There's a there's a more adultness to it, and I think mm-hmm. that 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 comfort is reflected is a bit like how they're moving on from each other being their primary concern and they're looking at other things and that yeah I think that yeah slightly informed by that like a slightly more domestic and yeah yeah
2: and for those who don't know and and maybe haven't seen the first season yet if you haven't what have you been doing with your life um the (laughs) idea for feel good came out of of your stand-up may which should come out of your personal experiences it's obviously semi-fictional do people kind of assume everything every um thing you put in there is is true basically uh yeah yeah i
3: think they do um yeah and a lot of it is and that but uh so much of it is, is heightened or and particularly the specific characters are often amalgamations of lots of different people and my my co-writer Joe's experiences as well he he's bringing tons to it you know from his own relationships and everything so um yeah I don't mind people making that assumption if it uh but because I think the emotional truth is mm. is definitely there but
4: yeah
2: And when it comes to addiction, is that often the case of, because you would have to remember, I think, sometimes things that may be embarrassing or shameful or you regret years later. Is there ever a sense when you're writing of of it's still difficult sometimes to put that stuff on the page? or, Or is the distance you now have, does it make it a little bit easier?
3: with addiction um, writing it was absolutely fine and then actually doing it what was there's more of that in season one than season two I think yeah. and, and I hadn't, I'd never acted before and so I hadn't really thought through what that would be like to, to do those things but I think that's good because I probably wouldn't have written it that way <laughs> if I had known how it going to feel anyway. yeah exactly so yeah I definitely found it I was surprised the n- natural emotional recall that happened sort of without my <laughs> Countering it up, you know? But um yeah. Yeah.
2: And and I think both May and Georgia are such brilliantly realistic characters and both flawed, beautifully brilliantly flawed. Um, for you Charlotte, is that part of the pull of a character like George? She's I mean she's amazing but also a nightmare at times as well. Uh,
4: yeah. I, I mean it is it is a real um a real draw. I think like I think there's a real um I, I don't know, it, It's people are really flawed, and I think it feels very liberating to play somebody who is, um, I think it's just very true to life, that I think we're often striving to be as good as possible a lot of the time, mm. almost everyone is all the time. and So it's great to play a character that is so clearly flawed, and also who so much, definitely in the first series, I think was so unwilling to see her flaws, and so reluctant to kind of absorb them. And I think there's a lot more uh, of a redemptive feeling in mm series or almost maybe too too much. so I think like I think that George maybe uh, gets a little bit kind of moralistic or something a bit kind of puritanical about absolving herself and kind of being and I think that there's an interesting discussion there about how you move forward from being a person who's hurt somebody that you love. and mm. um, I think there's a lot of empathy and like nuance in the show and that's what I love most about it is that there are these constant contradictions within us all the time but yeah I mean she a lot of the time I watch it and personally I'm like come on George and it's stressful and I think because it's so naturalistic I find it really hard yeah. to like uh, they're separate you know the different people and like but sometimes I judge George very harshly when I watch the show so um, that's so funny though because
3: I have the opposite I mean mm. maybe in season one occasionally I watch it and I'm like poor George mm. May is so annoying and so overwhelming and uh self-absorbed so i i watch it and really empathize with george but i think that might just
4: be the hell of watching yourself
3: yeah maybe yeah, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watch yeah for
4: well, me anyway
3: but I, I really uh, joe and i really tried to we like that in any given episode you might be uh, uh, identifying with with george or may and that that power dynamic shifts um and is sort of fluid i think it would get pretty one note if it was just like poor may or yeah poor
2: george <laughs> So I I like that it flips. I want to just talk about the reaction to season one briefly because were you expecting it? It was, I mean, just across the response to it was incredible, like a whole community of people coming together who loved it. Did you have any sense it was going to land in in quite the way it did?
3: No, I I just hoped so much that, I mean, even if it had been 100 people that were really passionate about it, that would have been amazing. And Mm. I, I was really... I think like we we were saying that, or, that when you look at if you were to assess humanity off of social media and things you'd think that people were really bad and it was mm-hmm. so refreshing I was so primed to have to be defensively explaining things or to be uh, challenged in various ways but actually so many people were into the, the nuances of it and really engaged with it in, in a really um interesting and and complex way. So I was really pleasantly surprised and across different generations and Mm. uh,
4: demographics. So that meant a lot. Yeah, it really meant a lot. Also, I think what I found um, fascinating, sorry, fascinating. What I I love is that basically May and Joe have written this very personal and specific uh, and detailed account of one person's experience or a couple of people's experience of one or two specific things. And amount of people once that's been made and put out into the world then people make of it what they need and what they want Mm -hmm. and I think that is what happens when you make and create something is that it kind of I get I don't know if you feel this but like it leaves you and becomes theirs it becomes whoever watches it and the amount of people who saw things in it that maybe I didn't anticipate but also connected with things I never thought of and um I think that that's what's so amazing is that it's specific and personal and that has spoken to so many people, and actually, that shows kind of how how related people are and interrelated, and how mm. nuanced people's sort of experiences are. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, there seemed to be such a universality to their love story, and I think it was one of the most romantic shows on on TV last year, as well as being hilariously funny. The Blackpool episode um, is is just one of the mm. most romantic episodes of television. It's so I think, romantic.
4: I mean, yeah, I how love do it. You-
2: how, how do you, how carefully do you have to balance say the the romance and the comedy and tonally it must be a bit of a line to walk yeah we kind
3: of, i guess we had enough conversations before writing it about what we wanted it to be that going into it we just if if it was ever straying into an arena of being too zacharine or you know melodramatic then we'd, we'd always offset it with something ridiculous uh and just Joe, my co well, both of us really are kind of allergic to anything too, uh, mm. too earnest. So, yeah, we were constantly undercutting it. And, and, yeah, I'm glad that, I'm glad you think it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and,
2: and this is. I, mean, this I guess that you really,
3: we, we wanted to really earn the emotional moments. And also to have people never knew, knowing where they stood kind of, so uh, in any given moment. Yeah.
2: And then finally, this is it's been said that this is the second, but obviously final season. Is it what? so? <laughs> I know. I hate, I hate for you to find out like this, Charlotte. It's quite awkward, uh, but apparently.
4: Oh. <laughs> no, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that.
2: Well, we, we always kind
3: it. of, it sounds like I'm just saying this because it's been cancelled, but I swear <laughs> we always knew that we wanted it to be two seasons because it's a love story and uh, we thought we wanted to be able to tell a complete a complete story we knew where we wanted them to end up and we didn't want to just keep indefinitely throwing problems at them and um so yeah it's really sad to leave it behind but I feel proud of it and mm. it's kind of deeply satisfying
4: to leave it to leave it like that as well yeah you know yeah it's quite a rare thing I think to know for sure that you are not going to continue especially when yeah the, for a lot of people lots of people have loved it and I think that would be sad for them to say. I mean, it was definitely sad. I, I found that the bit that really, I really understood it was over when I, when I finally watched all the last episodes and I was really moving to know. Because you get attached to these characters and you sort of, you do care where they end up going and there is a sense of like, yeah, what's next for them?
3: I'd love to, I mean, my dream is to do a really mad Christmas special. Like <laughs> <no one's gonna laughs> yeah, house it's, it's like yeah. an hour long and it's a murder mystery or something. And it's all one and, shot. Yeah, but... My co-writer, Joe, is very principled and says we should leave it. But yeah. I, I would write, like, a mad sci-fi yeah. version of it. But, no, it's, it is really nice to leave them as we left like them.
2: Lovely. Well, thank you so much both for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for thank having us. us.
0: That was Mae Martin and Charlotte Ritchie. And time now, I think, for this week's news. Where would we like to begin?
1: Um, I was going to start with the fact that um, in the Sex and the City world... Um, You know this this reboot, reimagining, sequel, effectively, is happening, which is called And Just Like That. You've got some big um, news, have you, Boyd? Some big news. Oh, thanks, James. (laughs) Yes. So, Chris Noth... And uh, I think I've told the story um, on this podcast before about oh, I did a Q and A with Chris Noth once, and when I met him beforehand, you know, for the chat, kind of pre Q and A chat, and I was like, "Hi, Chris," um, blah blah blah, and I said, uh, "It's just really, it's really interesting that Chris Noth." Blah, blah. and he went, "Noth, Noth." So yeah, <laughs> don't call him Noth, Chris him, Noth. Don't call him Noth. Um, so yeah, he's going to he has confirmed that he's coming back because there were rumours that he wouldn't that he wouldn't come back as big, um, but he is going to. Thank
2: God. As- because I couldn't see how they were right. going to do exactly. that because um, Aidan's back as well, we yeah. know. And yeah. I was like, oh, God, don't have her having left big or because then that it. what you don't want out of a new sex in the city is something that essentially undoes all of the narrative exactly. so far. And yeah. the prevailing narrative has always been that big is the one. And I was like, I can't handle that. So that is excellent, excellent news. But obviously yeah. in the last film, she had a snog with Aidan which was very bad because he also has a wife and many children. Um, and that's not very nice. But um, so, oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that boy. Just oh, yeah, yeah. things I didn't know. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. You, you must have been busy this week if you didn't know get that. <laughs> news.
2: All right. I, was. I was. I
1: was. I was. Yeah, it's very good news completely.
0: Uh, well, speaking of people reprising their roles, Boyd, you will, of course, be thrilled to know that The Last of Us on HBO is going to have Merle Dandridge reprising her role as Marlene the leader of the Fireflies in the game so that's she's to the best of my knowledge at the moment she's the only person from the game who is actually reprising her role in the TV series uh, so that's 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 kind of cool I, I mean anything from that game that makes it into the series I'd be completely happy with obviously it makes sense that they've recast Joel and Ellie but uh, but yeah having uh, having Merle Dandridge in as, as Marlene works for me that's good news <laughs> but that's good news I don't know who that is or anything that. about
1: that <laughs> exactly, No, but I can see that, yeah, having something from the game, yeah. that, that's yeah. good for And, so, and it's, it is a key yeah. character as well, so. Right. Did you see the, have you heard the OA rumors? I have heard that's the OA rumors, but I've seen yeah. nothing
0: to substantiate it as fact. Do you know anything?
1: No, no. All that, well, so but there's two things, basically. Zal back the co-creator... Yeah. Uh, of it, did post some weird and mysterious Instagram posts. From Old Knight, presumably. Yeah, from Old Knight, whatever. And they were weird and mysterious, and he is definitely, deliberately being weird and mysterious, <laughs> um, because he didn't explain what they were. Um, and they had a kind of OAE vibe to them, I think it's fair to say. OAE? OAE?
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. And um, there's this du moi, Account on pop culture account on um, Instagram, which I didn't know about until people popped up and started talking about it, where they have like blind stories, blind items. You know, like Pop Bitch says, you know, we've heard rumors that so so and so is doing that. And one of the kind of gossip items was that NBC is in negotiation to revive the OA for um, Peacock, their streaming service. And then, so someone said, I've heard that. And then someone else said, Oh, yeah, I can confirm they're definitely in negotiations. I mean, who knows? No one's.
0: Can you imagine? It does
1: feel. Yeah, so fans are getting excited. I've had loads of DMs from, from people saying, do you, do you know if it's true? I have no idea, but I mean, oh well, boy, you should look it
0: up on the Internet
1: of Trees." Yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all there on the Internet of Trees, but I mean, I'm so, I'm just I am overexcited by just the possibility. It might just be a new a new project from Zalbach managed with, because that can, in itself would be exciting, something. but not that would be, in itself, as would be ex- exciting. Yeah, not as exciting as an actual uh, revival <laughs> of the OA. yeah Oh I', can't, I can't, let please let this rumor be true that's what I'm
0: saying yeah yeah. Uh, Breeders has been renewed for a third season but let's move on from that
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Breeders haters
0: Uh, one thing I did see was interesting so Trevante Rhodes who was obviously in Moonlight and uh, well and The Predator and a number of other things Uh, but he's going to play Mike Tyson in the series for Hulu Iron Mike have you seen this? yeah yeah i know Hulu on hulu uh so presumably becoming star on disney plus here in the uk eventually this is the one where tyson is not happy about because he's not actually involved in the series but frankly that's probably the best um but yeah it should be interesting it's an eight episode mini series uh made by the Itonia team
1: it's a big there's a lot to take in on that story.
0: there is well trevante roads is fantastic but yes mike tyson okay, is a yeah. shall we say problematic figure um, to say the <laughs> yes, least. To say
1: the least. So. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: when you say probably. I mean, he was jailed <laughs> for rape, mis- yes. <laughs> uh, euphemism yeah. mis- for convicted rape. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I mean. Just checking. Yeah. But I'm, I'm interested to see the series. Yeah.
1: Did you know about the staircase drama series based on the true crime? Have you seen the staircase? No. Yeah, it's in one of the gr- a classic true crime epic series. It's got like about nineteen episodes because they went back. There was original series, and they waked, went back and did more series on HBO, and, now, and they're making a drama with um, with uh, Tony Collette. As the wife of Michael Peterson, Colin Firth as Michael Peterson. She died. He was accused of murdering her, and he claimed that she fell down the stairs in the home. And um, Parker Posey is playing the prosecutor. I, I'm, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, Colin Firth and Tony Collette in a true crime HBO drama based on an amazingly bizarre case is, is interesting.
0: Oh, did you watch the? Uh, did you see the Cobra Kai season four teaser? Oh, nice. No. Okay, so it's teasing that Terry Silver, the villain from Karate Kid Three. Is gonna wow. be in season four of Cobra Kai. <laughs> at the moment, they're just rolling through all of the back catalogue yeah. at this point. Who can we get? Yeah. I'd be honest, like Karate Kid 3, I don't think I've ever watched all the way through, so I only have a very dim recollection of who Terry Silver was. I'm kind of relying on Terry to to fill me in on this. Terry, you seem like someone who's definitely seen Karate Kid 3 a number of times. Of
2: course I've seen Karate Kid 3. But, who was Terry um, Silver? Doesn't he own, he owned Silver. like a
0: waste plant or something? Doesn't he team up? With crease um, with Like, if you look at the synopsis of Karate uh, Kid 3, ostracised villain John Creese attempts to gain revenge on Daniel and Miyagi with the help of a Vietnam War comrade, the wealthy owner of a toxic waste disposal business. That's got to be him, surely.
2: He's the, um, he's the shit Steven Seagal.
0: Yes, with the ponytail. Yes, yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, he was great. And he, I mean, because he, he was the one who essentially went in, got Daniel, trained him behind the back of Mr. Miyagi, tried to undo all of Mr. Miyagi's learnings. Daniel broke Mr. Miyagi's heart and rejected him, but he was really all along working for Christ and was actually trying to fuck Daniel up. And he got him to, like, hit wood until his hands bled and and kind of leaned into that brutal style of karate training that Mr. Miyagi was kind of philosophically very against. Their relationship was very fractured in that film because of shit Steven Seagal. He was evil.
0: Yeah. <laughs> evil, shit evil, ponytail. Evil, ponytail. evil shit Steven Seagal. Evil
2: ponytail. Evil
0: Evil shit Steven Segal will be back in Cobra Kai season four. Uh, what else is happening? What did you see? I mean, I say, did you see? I should say, did you see, or were you in any way interested in the Sandman casting that was announced this week?
1: uh yeah. I mean, it's good people, in it? <laughs> Jenna Coleman, Stephen Fry. I mean, loads of yes, people. Yes, that is find. true.
0: And uh, Jenna Coleman playing Johanna Constantine, which was, uh, you know, which made people ask, you know, is John Constantine being recast? Is he being gender flipped in this? But they think actually, that's not. It's not actually the same character. as like a like a a, a forbear. Of, of John Constantine. But who else have we got on there? Let me bring up the actual list.
1: David Thewlis.
2: Don't, don't you think it just becomes, like, name salad? Like, it's literally just a list, a <laughs> massive a lot of list. People. Of
0: yeah. It is a big list, yeah. and I won't go through, obviously, all of them, not least of all because a lot of them are people we don't necessarily know. But Jolie Richardson, who's playing Ethel Cripps, uh, who's the master thief and woman of a thousand identities. David Thulis, uh, is playing John D. Ethel's son. Who else have we got? We have got Stephen Fry as Gilbert. And uh, Matthew the Raven is Patton Oswald. so those are the, those are the kind of the, the recognizable ones.
1: What pray tell? I haven't read it. What is the Sandman about?
0: <laughs> that Boyd, is not a simple question to <laughs> I'm answer. Not, I'm not queuing so up an 18 minute. You might answer. be a little bit. I'm not a massive Sandman expert because I had I never uh, okay. got on with the art style, if you could believe that. So I never actually read the whole thing through. Oh. I've. I've read the first two <laughs> volumes, actually, this year, so I'm now getting into it. But, um, yeah, so so he's one of the sort of the, the, the eternal... There's Dream, Desire... Oh, God, let's see if I can name them all. There's Dream, Death, Desire, Despair... I think Delirium, maybe. They're all Ds. Um, Anyway, uh, it starts off with him having been captured and held sort of like as a prisoner because they've stolen his mask and his pouch and his robe and whatever it is. And he's been kept by this kind of wizard. And while he's kept there, everyone's dreams go a bit doolally and eventually he escapes. But it's a very twisted kind of horror yarn. It has lots of little subplots and he goes to hell. He deals with John Constantine. There there are lots of sort of individual standalone stories in there. There's a a lot going on. There's a serial killer guy um, with, with... Teeth for eyes, which is more than a little bit upsetting. Uh, the Corinthian, it, yeah, it's, it's fucking weird, but it's pretty cool. Mm. Okay,
2: I'm more excited about the uh, continuing Black Panther Disney Plus news. Um, so we obviously know there's a Wakanda series in the works, um, as well as Black Panther Two for cinema. But um, uh, Denai Guerrera has basically said they're going to bring the Dora Milaje. To, um, to a Disney Plus series, in addition to Wakanda Forever, I believe. The Dora Milaje, as we all remember, are fucking epic. She's particularly amazing. Um, and I think it's, you can a- absolutely see a complete Dora Milaje origin story. Disney Plus, 10 episodes, sign me up, baby.
0: No, hundred percent. They're awesome. I i love them. I even like their appearance in the otherwise tepid Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, what else have we got? There's not actually an awful lot. Ten Thousand Ships has got its new writer. So Ten Thousand ships being one of the uh Game of Thrones spin-offs currently in development. Uh but the EP from Hellstrom, Amanda Siegel, is going to be writing that one. Uh Hellstrom was not, you know good but this series uh, does look very good uh, and this is centering around uh, Nymeria and her journey from Essos to Dawn Terry it's pretty exciting isn't it
2: oh my god uh, I
0: thought you'd like that <laughs> I thought you'd like that uh, I can't wait till we do sort of painstaking blow-by-blow episode breakdowns of House of the Dragon
1: <laughs> yes I think we're all looking forward to that I think you are I'm looking forward to the rewatch of it oh yes yes there'll be the
0: House of the Dragon spoiler special and then the rewatch a year yes. later Are we done? Shall we move on to reviews since we've got 100,000 things to get get through? We have a lot to cover this week. A lot to cover this week. So let's dive into reviews and let's begin Where else? Let's begin with Feel Good, shall we? Uh, So this is the second and final series of this formerly Channel 4, now Netflix, comedy about comedian Mae Martin and her girlfriend George, played by Charlotte Ritchie, who you've already heard from. Um, As you may remember, their relationship kind of hit the rocks at the end of Series 1. The pair are hurled back together this time in a funny yet bittersweet story of two people trying to make it work. Uh, Terry, is there any chance at all that this didn't send you into paroxysms of delight?
2: I just fucking love this. I love the first season. I've talked about it, I think, for like six episodes on the trot or something. Uh, I've talked about the Blackpool episode and why it's just one of the best episodes of TV I saw that year. And here's the thing about Feel Good, right, is it is one of the only rom-coms on telly that I think absolutely nails both parts of that because it is... It's funny. It's like motherland for me, levels of funny. But it is also one of the most romantic shows I have ever, ever, ever seen. And I buy their love and their intimacy and their physical chemistry and everything. And I just feel completely like seduced by the show every time I watch it. Um, So we are in season two, as you said, the end of season one was left basically in the ashes of their relationship. And the the first season had really only concerned itself with this burgeoning relationship. George, as you said, played by Charlotte Ritchie, who had only ever dated men previous to meeting May. And um, about their blossoming relationship, about the kind of tensions, um, was hidden for a while, Um, friends and family didn't know, George coming to terms with her sexuality. And um, this actually started from Mae Martin's stand up for years. She kind of dug around in her own life, memoir ish, I'd say, in terms of um, past relationships, but also her, her addiction issues. So she's very open about the fact that she's um, in recovery. She is in, A- I don't think she's still actively in AA, but she talks about her time in AA. And it kind of was sprung from her life. She co wrote it with. Joe Hampson, who is back this season as well. Now, it is on Netflix now, and she is absolutely adamant that this is the last season, that is it, which which kind of is heartbreaking, but also I think right. And this second season, I don't want to say too much about what happens because it picks up with whether their relationship, you know, can survive, will it last? Is that is there a relationship there to save? But it widens the scope this season because as I say, the first season. I had a narrow-ish focus on that it was about this love story and it was about um, sexuality and, you know, how you manage addiction, but it was really, that was the lens through which we kind of explored everything. Season 2 widens the scope for me because it, it tackles gender identity. There's a brilliant line where um, Amazing Rehab, and she is asked kind of who, what, who how does she identify now And she says, oh, an Adam Driver or a Ryan Gosling. And that's kind of really typical of of the kind of humour in in Feel Good. There's a really interesting whole bit about the commodification of trauma. I say this as a woman who wrote and sold a memoir (laughs) about trauma. Really interesting look at at, at kind of the commodification of trauma, the real-world consequences of the Me Too movement, how women are kind of revisiting and actually, everybody is revisiting stuff in their own past. Um, how we now view, I suppose, teenage experiences as um, adults who are living in a very different cultural climate. And so, I think I think it does this really cleverly, and not in a heavy-handed way at all. Um, the The issue of gender identity is, is looms large, and May Martin has said that she is non-binary. Her pronouns are now they, them. Or her and she, she uses both. And that kind of is reflected on screen, this kind of digging into gen- gender identity. It remains really fucking brilliantly written. And that, for me, there's two things about Feel Good for me that is, is kind of why it's so magical. The writing is impeccable. I just think it is. I think it's absolutely spot on. But also, the, the main thing for me, really, you've got their chemistry, but really it's about Mae Martin. She has this incredible vulnerability. She always reminds me of a, a basically like a baby chick who's just been hatched and has no real hairs on her yet and is kind of taking her first tentative steps into the world. She has this, this really arresting vulnerability, which makes her just so compelling to watch and the way she performs this and it's not all autobiographical but a lot of it is lifted from her own life but the way she performs it i just find her just so compelling and believable and you root for her and you have such affection for her even when she's been a dick um, or she's being selfish or she's being self-centered or she's falling back into destructive habits and i just think she's an incredible incredible performer her emotional kind of breath and her ability to land tone with both bits of writing and bits of pumps i just think she's like incredible she's extraordinary <laughs> so i love this i felt i felt devastated when it ended i'm going to go back to the beginning of season 1 i'm just going to say i reviewed this friend empire and i gave it 5 stars which i don't think i've ever given a tv show before I, I just thought this was an absolute triumph, and why Channel Four dropped this, I will never understand as long as I live. These are two pretty much perfect seasons of telly that we will look back on in the same way we look back on The Office or something like that, and I think we will revisit it for years and years to come.
0: It is really good, isn't it? I uh, I must admit, like I'm I'm rarely someone who when we whenever we review comedies, it's unusual for me to watch all the way through them. Obviously, I did with Home, uh, but. But this is really, really, really good. I've not seen the whole of series two yet. I think I've seen about four of the episodes. But it's just, there is an honesty to this. And I think the two of them are brilliant. And I think no one does... Deadpan comedy, quite like Charlotte Ritchie. Like she's magnificent at it. There is a bit. There's an alien gag with a vibrator that actually had me crying with laughter. It's just. It's so lovely, but it is poignant and sometimes it's quite dark as well. So it does. It doesn't make light of this material at all. And as you say, you know, it is about addiction and abuse and all sorts of things. But at the heart, it has well heart really at its heart. And you believe in their relationship and you root for them enormously. And it's just. It's a lovely lovely show
1: yeah i think it's um i think it's the best dramatization of the current world if you like of fluidity gender and sexuality mm. um and i think it's 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 not it's almost like it's about it's partly about how may martin has negotiated being asked constantly about her sexuality and gender um you know ever since she became a famous person and and even more so obviously since Feelgood. Season one came out, and because it deals a bit with that even more in season two, and it's kind of it's a show that co- it's commenting on itself as it goes along. That's, it's, that, it's so multi-layered in that way. So yeah, so there's the whole trauma thing going on. She's dealing with trauma, past trauma, but she's also talking about how. A comedian is dealing with past trauma and what that means and how that's going to be um as as terry says you know kind of marketed almost um and presented so there's that and then she's dealing with fluid fluidity of sexuality and gender but she's also kind of commenting on how that's become a thing a debate you know this awful tedious debate you know between in heavy quotes turfs and um, you know all of that whole thing so it's kind of commenting on that but but it's hard what's brilliant about it one of the many brilliant things about it is it's just it's about these two characters who happen to be in their own different ways Fluid and dealing with and being asked to define themselves, and I love that about it. It's like she's it's kind of, she's constantly addressing why is it why is she being asked to define and why am I being asked to define myself? You know, it's annoying, difficult. There's a brilliant new character played by Jordan Stevens, who I thought was fantastic in it. Jordan Stevens, Jordan Stevens off Rizzle kicks, and you know, he has done acting and he's great. And he plays this guy, this teacher, a colleague of Charlotte Richards, and we first introduced him and he wants everyone to explain who they are. But by by definition, by the sexuality, like, I'm pansexual, cis male. Blah blah blah. He wants people to reel off their, you know, their definitions of themselves. The cat And George resists it. And it's such an interesting thing. And what how, what, how he turns out, I thought, was really interesting. So I think Mae Martin's so confident of that she can satirise, really, some of that stuff. But at the same time, talk about how important it is to, to want to be nuanced and fluid and not define yourself as any particular thing. And yet, at the same time, want to define yourself, in some ways, as non-binary, as she has. It's so... I keep using the word nuanced it's so brilliantly cleverly nuanced and, and, and I think it's absolutely leading that you know it, it, it's talking about that stuff in a way that other 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 stuff is dumb but I think it's doing it in such a brilliant way and as you say that that the balancing of the heavyweight in quotes stuff with the jokes there are jokes jokes mm. jokes gags 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 funny bits all the way through is so great um and they've really worked hard at that in the writing i know like to make the the funny bits as funny as possible the the sad difficult thorny bits as difficult as possible as real as possible and that's amazing and this is a show that had a scene where lisa kudrow plays the drums in a band with her family and they got lisa kudrow to learn how to play drums and they cut that scene because it didn't work
0: (laughs) yeah it's very good i'm 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 curious how I'll feel at the end of this. Will I want more or will I just be happy that it's a lovely little self-contained thing?
1: I I think I'm with Terry. It's perfect as Mm. it is. And and I think it's, it's I I binged it all in one go that second series. I watched it in in one night, set up to two in the morning and it works as just like a three hour, it works as a six hour epic, epic romantic comedy. And I think it's perfect to stop it. I love The Office. Yeah, I think she, and and, and I know they're working on something new, her and Joe, So, you know, there'll be a new thing um, but th- this story absolutely works perfectly as a two-series thing. Yeah. Well, uh, Feel Goods
0: is available on Netflix from Friday, June the 4th. And next up this week, we have Anne Boleyn, which stars Jodie Turner-Smith as Henry Eighth's second wife who famously lost her husband and her head in one very unfortunate afternoon. Boyd, having watched these, did you want to see more? Seymour, because Jane Seymour was the next one. Anyway, do you like it?
1: Amazing. And Jane Seymour's in it, Jane Seymour's She in, is in it, she is in it. a very important um, uh, character in it, played by Lola Pettigrew very well. So this is this is famous, Jodie Turner-Smith cast um, as Anne Boleyn, was this, when this was announced, people were like, oh, that's an exciting, bold, daring thing to do. Jodie Turner-Smith for Queen and Slim. Papa S.E.A. um from I May Destroy Destroyer plays her brother George Boleyn. It fo- boxed Stanley's Henry VIII, and it focuses on, really, she's been in, she's been... Um, with henry for a couple of years it's it's focusing on the last few months of her life really and it's and it's been it was mooted it was marketed um when when the first it was first announced as a as a psychological thriller so i think they mm. want channel five who are obsessed by the way with Anne Boleyn. ben frau the controller of channel five has commissioned myriads documentaries about Anne Boleyn and like you know there's pretty much a new Anne Boleyn show every week he's obsessed with her story and so like I think he, this was like his dream to to get to the point where Channel 5's drama um is doing really well and and establish a really good reputation for itself that he could commission this you know for Channel 5 quite lavish three-part uh, drama about um Anne Boleyn and so it's a bold um idea that the the it was mooted as a psychological thriller um, you know a different take on a story that was pretty pretty well known obviously throughout history has been told many many times I think if you I, I, I urge people to forget about that psychological thriller idea because I don't think it is a psychological thriller. I think it's a fairly you know it's a fairly it's an interesting take. On Anne Boleyn told from her point of view with a quite a strong feminist slant, that she is trying to work her way through the patriarchy and work her way through the power of Henry VIII and Henry desperately wanting a son and she has given him daughter and she gets pregnant and he's desperate for it to be a son and what that means and also at the same time he's openly flirting with, um, with uh, Jane Seymour who's younger than her and he's like you know literally frolicking <laughs> around with her while um, Anne Boleyn has to look on from the side. Um, so it's kind of got i but i don't th- i think once you stop calling it a psychological threat i think you're expecting it to be something that's just not and i was slightly disappointed i felt and i kept th- because, because of that because it's not quite it feels quite in a way um old-fashioned in some ways like the way they perform the dialogue is quite kind of period drama style and i think you know, they could have made it feel more modern really than it actually is it feels in, in many ways quite traditional and i thought it needed it could have done with more oomph generally the storytelling it's a little bit i think it's a little bit slow a little bit um kind of everyone standing back and acting in this in this period drama way but having said that when i got onto episode two and episode one has a really power, some really powerful interesting moments there's a kiss i don't want to spoil it that i thought was really fantastic and interesting and provocative and then it kind of almost for me like woke up at that moment and i thought ah oh, this is getting interesting whereas it, i thought it had been quite kind of um, traditional up until that point and then i think it really picks up in episode two and as it carries on i'm really interested to see how it turns out it's just not a psychological thriller it is a period drama telling this story from mm-hmm. the ambulance point of view and that's interesting enough it's not, hasn't got an intensity or a kind of um, that just hasn't got a thrillerish quality to it. So I just think that's completely misleading it is i
0: know what they mean though because the idea is it's the last days of anne boleyn yeah. is when her world starts to fall apart and she can feel the walls closing in on her as her because sure. her entire you know status and everything is pinned to the fact that she's the queen that she's married to the king and then when that starts to fall apart everything from her status to her power to her personal safety suddenly starts to feel like it's falling away from her like the, the and it's all enemies no friends around her you know Henry's mooning over Jane Seymour who's about 12 years old and it's all a little bit I think you feel it you feel the psychological weight on her as her world is unravelling and there is nothing she can do to stop it happening
1: yeah it's a it's a a drama it's the word thriller. I have an issue with
0: yeah it's not a thriller there are no thrills in this (laughs) I think
1: the way it's directed by Lindsay Miller, she's done a really good job yeah it's not directed as a thriller no it's it's, not so I just don't know where that whole so I'm I'm over obsessing about the way it's it's more of a psychodrama isn't it more than anything else yeah we say yeah, Eve, not- Eve, Eve Hedwic Turner's written it. I think it's her first major commission, and um, you know, and and, it's, and she's done a good job because I think it's really interesting. With, it, but it just doesn't need to be thought of in that way.
0: Yeah, like the action set piece involves a peacock, so you know.
1: right, <laughs> right. Let's not overstate the thrills. Exactly.
2: So the first half of the first episode is a little bit slow, and it does take some use to getting, takes some use to getting used to. It takes some getting used to that they are speaking in. Period speech, is that what you call it? Um because yeah. because we're used to with especially these these contemporary retellings, they kind of cobble that out the window. And and I did think some of the writing was a little bit plodding and it did feel maybe like like it, it wasn't by a seasoned writer. That all said, Jodie Tun Smith is phenomenal. Like the way she carries herself, the way she holds herself, the way she delivers um, lines that you'd imagine on the page could read quite kind of innocuous or flat. She, The intent behind her performance is kind of amazing. I thought it was beautifully directed. Um, and I know Lindsay Miller did Deadwater Fell before um, and has, has done quite a lot of, of telly, but this, has a, this does have a cinematic quality. And I'm, I agree with you, Boyd, this is a feminist retelling through and through. So it's by Fable, who are famously behind Rocks. Um, and so it really is a specifically feminist lens on this. And I think it's really interesting, right? Because think about when you learn about Anne Boleyn at school and you learn about Henry VIII and it's all that, you know, died, beheaded, married, be- and when you do that rhyme right, yeah. to know how Henry got rid of all of his wives. And it's, it's like this flippant thing that you you do with kids in the playground and then you forget that this was a woman who was murdered by her own husband. He was a psychopath and a abuser and a thoroughly unpleasant man. And it's really weird because she's Anne Boleyn's become this kind of almost like mythical figure that you just cob around as shorthand for basically temptuous women who end up getting what's good for them. It's it's really weird how that kind of is in your mind since being a kid, and then you're like, oh no, he's he was a real guy who was vile and horrible, and and not only, you know, had had sex with m- multiple other women, some of whom their age seems questionable because you know, they seem more like children to me than women, but also murdered, literally murdered his wife, chopped off her head. It's ridiculous. And the only thing I did think is the, um, the actor who played Henry... Mark Stanley. Mark Stanley. So Mark Stanley, in, I think, the what you need for the threat that Anne is under to really have its full power, Henry has to be almost kind of larger than life in the sense of being a physical threat, a, a threat to her very, you know, her life, her children's lives. This man has to be this huge, physical, dominating presence. And Jodie Turner-Smith has such presence that she overshadows Mark Stanley sometimes. Not, And I don't mean overshadows in terms of talent. I mean, when they're in a scene together, you find it hard to believe that, that she, the, the, she's under threat from him because she is so compelling. You can't stop looking at her when she's on screen. And she has a physical presence and a and just a overwhelming charisma that I think it's it's hard for him to match, and that that does something to the dynamic of their relationship that I don't think quite works. But the second half of this, as Boyd said, pretty much from that kiss onwards, holy shit! There is a br- brutal childbirth scene. Mm. There is an extraordinary bit afterwards where she's getting laced up. And you can, I mean, as, mm. let me say, as a woman who's given birth, but even just as a human being, this is amazing. And this
0: was her first job after having given birth to her own child yeah, as well. Yeah, and,
2: and, you you know, I thought it started to do, at the back end of this first episode, it started to do some really fucking interesting and bold and out there stuff because I agree the first bit felt a little bit safe, a little bit traditional, wasn't what I was expecting. And I'm if I was watching that at home, I think to be honest, I'd have switched over. So if you if you feel that when you watch it, keep going. Because by the end of the first episode, I was a hundred percent gripped. And obviously, as Boyd says, it, it it focuses on five the last five months of her life, three parters, and as episode one opens, you cannot imagine a world in which this woman is not the one in charge, who doesn't have all this power she clearly has as queen. And by the end of the first episode, you absolutely understand the peril she's in, and so I, I just think keep with it, keep going. It, it's my heart was in my throat by the end of that first episode, and now I can't wait to watch episode two. So just push on if you if you feel that, and I think the bravery and the risks. They're clearly taken by the end of that episode. I'm I'm excited to hear Boyd do that, that carries on into episode two.
1: It's almost like they kind of deliberately set it up with a quite traditional opening half hour, Mm. and then wham, you're into the absolute grim reality. And by and and you, uh, it's biggest achievement, I think, is you totally believe it. I I totally believe this is the grim, grim reality of what she had to go through.
0: Yeah, Mm. I never got past that wall that you speak of like I, again I, I definitely picked up for me in the second half and it does become more interesting as the pressure really sort of ramps up and you start to feel the stress that she's under and the peril that she's in but it never quite engaged with me i never i never i by the end of this i wasn't hooked i mean there's only three episodes so actually but even then i don't know that i'm going to Press on with this, if I'm honest with you. I don't think it was really for me. I mean, I don't mind a period drama, but I just didn't think there was enough in. The- I wanted, I wanted the psychological thriller. Boy, that's what I wanted. Yeah. I was promised a psychological yeah. thriller, and they didn't give me one, and I'm having none of it. Well, so there.
1: You should carry on watching it. it. You know, take some time between rewatches of fantasy <laughs> series, and go on late series. <laughs> you might see if it. I
0: can fit two episodes yeah. of this in. Yeah, I know we'll see. <laughs> uh, well, it does drop on Channel Five. It begins on Tuesday, June the first at 9 pm next this week we have time we have time in fact for time which comes to us from cracker creator jimmy mcgovern and sees sean bean as a school teacher shipped off to the big house to do some time for killing someone in a drink driving accident uh there he finds out that prison is not at all like the classroom clearly didn't teach at my school uh, and struggles to adapt meanwhile stephen graham plays a prison guard who has his own problems to deal with now quite clearly a harrowing deeply depressing prison drama is terry's idea of a sitcom so tell us terry was time worth yours
2: oh i mean so i as we all know i enjoy bleak i enjoy grim and fuck me you don't get much more <laughs> grim or bleak than this um brought to you jimmy mcgovern one of our absolute finest writers um and he's here with sean bean and stephen graham i think have only ever been on screen together once before which was um in the accused briefly i think and this is the first time they've properly properly done something big together i mean two northern titans of acting So I can't believe they're actually not like brothers or cousins or something. Hmm. But this is, I mean, let's start with Sean Bean. The amazing thing about this is it so brilliantly captures, and all through him, literally what would be your worst nightmare. So imagine you're in your 50s, this terrible thing happens, you've caused a man's death, and he's sentenced to four years, and it follows him as he basically enters the prison, and I Honestly, how beautifully this captures what it must be like to be a normal person who finds themselves going to prison for the first time in their 50s, completely unprepared for this, has no sense of what he's about to get into. is not part of like a criminal fraternity, does not move in these kind of circles, probably doesn't even know another criminal and what that must be like. And you are with him from the beginning. It helps that it's shot in a really naturalistic way. Um, so you're, you're right there alongside him. I mean, he goes through a lot in this first episode and it's full on from the get go. So, you know, he's, he's waiting to actually go in and somebody's getting the shit kicked out of them for being a grass maybe. That same person then gets a kettle full of boiling water and sugar thrown on him. So it's all, all the awful stuff you've ever thought actually goes on in a prison, no matter what the Daily Mail says about, you know, uh playstations in bedrooms and you know things being cushy this is literally the hell version of prison and what's brilliant about sean bean is he he nails how a normal person you imagine would react to prison processes and rituals you know having to bend down and squat and cough so you can show you haven't got any drugs in your bum hole <laughs> they're, they're like casual violence that goes on around it the small i think it, it, what was brilliant was the small indignities and humiliations that come with going. To prison mm-hmm. so the fact that he has to call the prison gods boss and and just these details that jimmy mcgovern is brilliant at for creating these really realistic worlds now Stephen graham is on the other side of it so i've only seen the first episode but it essentially it's it you're getting these two perspectives which um which i think is really interesting because usually in prison dramas or in policing dramas and obviously i've watched a lot in my time in both film and tv you're either with the prisoners, it's from their point of view, the guards are kind of corrupt and, and there's this binary storytelling, I think, in, in without wanting to get too fancy about, about prison dramas, there is binary storytelling. You're either on the side of of the officers, you know, like a prison cell blockage situation and you're kind mm-hmm. or it's it's I find it really interesting that the setup is kind of from both perspectives and you have sympathy for kind of both. So it's it's not too much to say that Stephen Graham might be a little bit rough around the edges of the as a prison guard, but he's humanised immediately and you're shown his private life and his family life. And what you get is two actually really quite nuanced perspectives from either side of this situation, the prison guard side and actually being a prisoner. There is a, a... There's a lot of, like, violence and brutality in this first episode. I'm sure that's going to continue. You feel Sean Bean's despair. I mean, just the way he hangs his head, the way he sits, and you're with him every step of the way as he tries to work out what the rules are, what do you do if somebody jumps in front of you for for the prison phone? When are you likely to get the shit kicked out of you? Who's likely to do it? How do you basically, like, connect with the guards. How do you speak to the prisoners? Like, all of these, I love the detail of this because I think that's what makes it. Stephen Graham is, I mean, amazing in everything. This is, like, classic Stephen Graham territory, kind of you, a bit Line of Duty-esque in the, you know, might be doing some bad things, but are they for the right reasons? Maybe. Um, But it is, I mean, I have to say it's a bit of a hard slog because the first episode is just, like, oh, God, that is literally my worst nightmare. And, God, oh, God, is that awful thing going to happen now? And, oh, God, what's going to happen? And, yeah, and that's kind of how it goes for the full hour or whatever it was. Um, This is like classic McGovern, classic Bean, classic Graham. If all of these things are up your street, I don't think it does anything (laughs) particularly different or new, but I don't need it to. Why would I need it to?
0: But they avoid sensationalising. Mm. I like that about it. The way it's not like he goes in and he's immediately like gang raped in prison. It's like no, someone steals his sandwiches. Yeah, someone. And it's like it seems. Yeah, it seems, it, right? yeah, it seems really. It's not. It's not spectacular but it's the it's as you said the little indignities someone steals a sandwich someone comes in just they help themselves to things from his cell and he you know he's an older man he's a school teacher he does he's completely ill-equipped to deal with this scenario and i and i it's all the more heartbreaking i think for the mundanity and the sort of reality of it i also like the fact that this takes place within the line of duty cinematic universe and he's actually doing time with tommy hunter head of the ocg so you know
2: I imagine. I imagine this is your worst
0: nightmare, James. What, going to prison yeah. or not just not
1: watching prison. this show? Watching this show.
2: No. Yeah. This well, show- on the one
0: hand, it,
2: it is and it
0: isn't. So on the one hand, I'm like Jimmy McGovern. Like Cracker is one of my all-time favourite TV shows. I love Jimmy McGovern. I love Sean Bean. I love Stephen Graham. So I was really looking forward to this. And then boy went, be warned, this is a really tough watch. And at that point, I kind of I put this off for a couple of days. I was thinking, oh, God. I mean, I should have known from the subject matter. But yeah, like, I found this incredibly difficult to watch so i thought this was fantastic i thought it was an acting tour de force i love the way it was laid exactly as you say the two perspectives work really really well i think it's really compelling and i think actually you know to try and look i've never been to prison so i don't know how realistic it is but i imagine that is literally Surprise what it's me. like yeah so you know i imagine that is literally what it's like and and that I think it deserves all the sort of plaudits for that and it's really compelling and it's great and there's a part of me that really wants to watch all of this but i don't think i'm going to just because i don't think i've got the fortitude to get through it i find it so difficult to watch things like this that while i think this is brilliant and i desperately want to know what happens and, and follow bean's character and graham's characters on their journey it's not for me because i find these shows too punishing but i still think this is fantastic
1: it is brutal when Terry said, is that awful thing going to happen next? Yes, every single time that awful thing is going yeah. to happen. And it's going to be beyond the awful thing that you think it is anyway. Like, that, I mean, oh, my God, there's some scenes in this that are genuinely, I, th- I, found, I I mean, I can watch anything pretty much. I found quite traumatic to watch. Um, but it has to be like that. And I think that you're right, the, the, the mundane details are all there. But actually, the threat of violence is there from the first second. Yeah and that is constant Constant. and that is the really dark i found that really dark and distressing and just so real and because sean bean is so brilliant i mean i think he underplays it doesn't he? he's like almost mumbling half the time but you can hear every single thing that he says but he's very much under he's just scared he's absolutely fucking terrified and trying to deal with it and at one point he actually says i'm fucking i'm just i'm a teacher you know this is not I shouldn't be in this situation, but he's got himself in this situation, um, and that is so brilliantly done. It feels so true. And then you've got the Stephen Graham character. I have to say, I thought I wasn't expecting his characters to. to ha- what happens to him was not is unexpected and different and, and fascinating. And that's what drives the narrative really. What his dilemma and what's going to happen to him. There's a brilliant Khadif Kiwan plays this guy who's fucking nasty inmate mm. who's trying to exploits Stephen Graham's code and he is great it. he's really terrifying and he does he's done a lot of comedy stuff he's he's really good co- comedic actor Khalid Kouan and he's fucking terrifying the guy who wants to who, who interrupts the phone calls and wants he is terrifying all of these threatening figures are so powerfully written and performed that it, that's what but that, it's almost like challenging you can you cope with this level of grimness if you can there's a f- really riveting story to 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 follow and it's just a, and i love the. Fact, as you said it's not it isn't in, trying to be innovative it's just jimmy mcgovern doing a brilliant story a, a terrifying story and set and at the same time showing us an, an incredibly no holds barred unflinching is the word look at what the reality of prison life and so yeah it's pretty incredible i've used the word incredible yeah.
0: it is as you say incredible and it is brutal stuff and it is on bbc one Beginning Sunday, June the 6th at 9pm. How many episodes to this point? Is it three-parter? Three, yeah. It's a three-parter. Another three-parter. A couple of three-parters this week. Well, from time then to our last show this week, which is Lisey's Story, the adaptation of the Stephen King novel of the same name, uh, which King was inspired to write after returning home after that near-fatal car accident that he had. Uh, this sees Julianne Moore as Lisey, the widow of a famous writer who must deal with deranged fans who are after his unpublished works, her near-catatonic sister, and... Strange happenings in a parallel world. At least, I've got to be honest with you, that's what I think this show is about. But given how bafflingly impenetrable the first episode of this was, I could be fucking wrong. Boyd, did you have any luck working out what this was about?
1: Yeah, but only because I've watched three episodes. To get I mean, to you'd need to, I think. Yeah. It is. This is right. I'm not kidding you. This is a fucking uncompromising piece of pure Stephen King, whatever the hell is going on re thing. Um, that was very eloquent I mean wasn't it so it's Stephen King adapting his own novel his favourite novel he has written all eight episodes this is eight hours I mean at least some episodes may be longer it's directed by Pablo Lorraine who is an uncompromising director who made Jackie and No and his films if anyone's seen them they are not you know commercial, normal narrative films. They are bold, daring, quite challenging sometimes and difficult. Like Jackie is the least straightforward, you know, in quotes, (laughs) biopic you could possibly imagine of Jackie Kennedy. And so be prepared for a fairly, as you've alluded to, impenetrable, arty, deliberately kind of weird, peculiar, very very slow storytelling in which it's constantly cutting between... Um, baffling moments from the past of this relationship between Julianne Moore as Lisi and her husband who's dead, who dies in the first few seconds Clive Owen, who's this famous writer the Stephen King character, this famous writer Um, so it cuts between her, what's happening to her in the present, as you say, dealing with a, a psychotic fan played by Dane De who actually comes really into it more in episode two. Not, I don't think you see much of an episode. Is he even in episode one? He is in episode one, oh, okay. not, not in, much, right. yeah. Not much, yeah. So he comes into it much more in episode two. Joan Allen is, the ca- is a catatonic sister who's kind of in, in an institution and is also having her own memories, her, her weird memories, often involving water. There's lots yep. of water motifs <laughs> going on. Then there's Jennifer Jason Lee, who I have to say, right, this is a show in which Jennifer Jason Lee is the normal one. Yeah. I mean, that never happens. She's the normal one, observing all this batshit stuff going, what the fuck is going on? And I, I really liked every single scene that she's in. Um, Dane DeHaan is absolutely off the edge. He is, Over yeah. the top performance. He, like, I mean, Dane DeHaan, I've always thought it was interesting, Dane DeHaan, he's, basically he's got kind of panderised look. I'm not, you know, and they kind of almost like cast him to, because he kind of looks a bit, weird and difficult and he, like he hasn't slept for 12 hours anyway <laughs> and in this it's like ratcheted up <laughs> so it's like he never sleeps he looks awful like deliberately and he is psychotically obsessed with the writer a life and he is basically threatening Julianne Moore's character and then there as you say there are these like weird fantasy world things with the ship which is populated by children, and um, and Joan Allen's character is there, and also she meets and Clive Owen's character, who's dead, is also hanging out there. This kind of weird, what is it, afterlife, between life? Who knows? Who the fuck knows? That's going to play out, and there's monsters, and and yep. I think you're supposed to think as in, I've, I've talked about this before with Stephen King stuff, where. At the point where it goes from, are, are these things all happening in the minds of the characters, or actually, are they fucking monsters? And is this? And you're like, at that point, I, I'm off, I often lose it. and go, right, yeah. I'm not just anymore. Because
0: the thing is, Stephen King's books are not always supernatural. Sometimes right, exactly. they're about the horrors inside people. Exactly. And that's weirdly what I thought this was, until Clive Owen vomits a stream of water into Joan Allen's mouth, and yeah. you're like, what is happening?
1: Yeah. So, this is a very rambling way of me saying... Right, I found the. F- I was really up for this. By the way, I mean Same. Julianne yeah. Moore, the greatest in the world. I absolutely love Julianne Moore. I watch her name anything. I, you know, I'm a fan of the director. Oh, Darius Congee is the cinematographer. Darius Congee of Seven fame, the greatest, the most mm. influential look, I'm, I would say, of any film in the last few decades. That, almost every single thriller made after Seven looks like Seven because of Darius Congee's cinematography in that film, the look of that film. And every shot in this show is stunning. I mean, there are elaborately beautiful setups of shots of her swimming in the pool, in the garden. And so it's, it's hardcore, intense pretentious arty difficult what the fuck is going on yeah it, it, it's indulgent but do you know what after about three episodes i actually started to really like it and now Did i'm you? in i am in i'm sorry it is kind of annoying because
0: you weren't I, at first because i texted no. you when i first and yeah. you were like oh god no
1: oh i hate i i, I genuinely hated it i thought this yeah. review was going to be i can't stand this fucking thing i'm not gonna carry on watching it but i carried on watching it and i'm absolutely fully immersed in it it's immersive in the end and I think it's, like, Apple TV+, Plus. like, they did this a bit with the Mosquito Coast, didn't they? Like, that is the thing that's not, I think has really alienated a lot of people and not what they're expecting. I think this is in that vein of, like, absolutely uncompromising, beautifully c- created, bold, difficult storytelling. But I actually really like this one. It is difficult.
0: Like that first episode I found so alienating. I struggled so hard. To, if, I mean, if, there are moments where you feel like you're watching Twin Peaks The Return. Like, it's so yeah, yeah. fucking batshit and just deranged at times where they're yeah. just deliberately being arty and surreal and just... And what doesn't help with the timeline is, it's like, her husband's dead but he was shot but being shot is not what killed him he dies later so there are periods set after he's shot but before he dies and you're just so confused as to how he died and when he died and you're not sure whether you're in the present the past or the past past like there are three different timelines and then throw in a parallel world called booyah moon or whatever it
1: is oh yeah the the little folksy (laughs) thing the booyah oh my god and the what do you call her um baby dove i just Excuse it, you, it is start. so inaccessible. It is yeah. so inaccessible. Uh, but that's where they wander around as a couple watching themselves from the past even though he's dead
0: i know and it's like i don't know what is happening i just don't know what's happening and i got to the end of this first episode i'm like honestly if you I, I thought even to do this i was like i genuinely don't know what this show is about so i had to go on wikipedia and read the synopsis of the fucking book because i just couldn't even get a grip on it but as you say it may be one of these things where the first episode is so inaccessible but if you persevere it's possible that it could get its slightly surrealist claws into you uh, i did not get to that stage so you've made me now think i might watch another episode
1: to see. by the way let me see though episode two gets really grim as well almost it like
0: oh uh, like, yeah, yeah see i have a feeling real, i know what happens in episode some two nasty mm. stuff
1: going on yeah which i found quite again found difficult to watch and it is done in in almost as un, in as unflinching am away as time and yeah fact, let's just say self-harm features a lot in both of these shows yeah, yeah. and that's i would have a, almost a trigger warning for people about that that is actually
0: that's a, and that is yeah that's that's a very good point actually because yeah brutal. time has a it's particularly unpleasant in scene. Both, mm. both
1: of these shows it really is
0: yeah so at least story not at all what i thought like i i had in my head oh i really enjoyed the outsider i'm really looking forward oh, to something like yeah. and this is nothing like the outsider no. um so yeah very different take on stephen king a very pablo lorraine take on stephen king but um anyway that drops on apple tv plus on the 4th of june now what else is out this week Boydie? there are other things on oh, netflix's sweet tooth now you've seen this i haven't yeah. this yeah. is all about antlers isn't it it's
1: about a boy who's half deer half human yeah I of course mean, it is it's exec uh, produced by Robert Downey. Jr. It's absolutely lavish. It looks incredible, and it starts with this spectacular, like global event, and it kind of doesn't let up. It, it, I actually did like it, but it's not going to be. It's weird. It is weird and peculiar because it's supposed to be family friendly thing, but it's got really bizarre elements. But it's stunningly well filmed and made. It's like massive. It Looks like a gigantic. Billions of dollars. It's also about, about a
0: pandemic it. as well, which I yeah, guess you may well, or pandemic. may
1: not want in your life. Right, exactly. It's really weird, and there's loads of animal children hybrids, and it's and it's bizarre. But you know, it's really interesting. There's Genius Aretha, the Aretha Franklin series biopic series. That's Disney Plus, isn't it? Cynthia Ever is rising Disney Plus on Friday. Mm. Oh, you know what? There is Terry Law and Order SVU. Yeah. New season starts on Friday. Yes. On...
2: new season, but still no Stabler and. In- yeah, special. That's Sky
0: Witness then on Friday the 4th. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all that's out this week. So then, what is our pick of the week feel good it is feel, good, feel it? good yes by a country mile i would say
1: as opposed to feel bad as is... opposed to everything um, else which is feel bad and, yes. and feel even badder which is least feel
0: bad feel badder, and feel absolutely terrible which are yeah. the other three shows this week
1: yeah. basically
0: oh feel good indeed yes absolutely watch that and if you haven't seen season one go back and watch that too both are available on netflix and that is it for this week's Pilot TV podcast. System Addict was a song by 80s Pop Combo Five Star and, coincidentally, that's exactly what we'd like you to leave us alongside a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever pod provider you favour. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White and at Boyd Hilton. And you can find us here at the same time next week when we'll be wading through another batch of shows which should include Loki, but almost certainly won't because they won't show it to us in time. But it will involve some other shows. But what they will be, I just don't care because I'm not going to be here because I'm taking uh. a week off. So you're on your own. Whatever shows you want to do, go for yeah. it. You know, Bele. grim prison dramas, <laughs> you know, fill your boots. Absolutely fill your You know what it's going to be? It's going to be Bake Off, some kind of reality chase thing. Sleeping so Gogglebox starts next Friday. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's all going to go to shit because yes! I'm not here. So. You've got that to look forward to. In the meantime, pilot out.